Hello and welcome to Unity Thursday, the podcast for women in business, created by women in business. We are your hosts, Emily Thompson and Sophie Will. We know what it's like to spend your day surrounded by people who don't look like we do, speak like we do or think like we do. Here on Unity Thursday, we bring together women like us. We ask our guests to share with us their story and discuss books and podcasts that they've enjoyed. Join the community wherever you get your podcasts. Just a quick disclaimer, this isn't a get-rich-quick plan and we can't make you good at your job. Sorry, not sorry. Shout out to our sponsors, Zeus, a leading independent financial services group which works across public and private capital markets in the UK. Before we get into it, how's your week been, Sophie? And I don't even feel like I need to ask. (laughs) It's been great. It has been great. I have been in Disney Paris, which has been amazing. The weather was terrible. It was so cold. But anyone who is a true Disney fan knows that Disney magic through and through kept me warm. (laughs) (laughs) What was that? Just the singing and jumping around? Of course. Can you not hear it in my voice? I feel like (laughs) I've been struggling today. Normally, I go on voice rest for these things because the first thing that goes is my voice. But... Disney doesn't happen every year, although she says that I managed, well, myself managed and the Disney magic managed to convince my husband to take me and my daughter to Disney Florida next year. So <laughs> it does happen every year in our household. <laughs> How's he feeling about that? Coerced or he's uh, happy to go? Well, yeah, probably a little bit. He did. He did give me terms and conditions with stop spending and start saving. What's the terms and conditions of this holiday? I have to stop spending. No, I have to stop spending and start saving (laughs) so we can enjoy it whilst we're there. So I will stop spending all of those lunches and I don't know. I don't even think I spend that much money to be honest, but here we are. Do you bring your lunch in? No. Sometimes, which is probably the issue. But anyways, we can just cut this bit out because I didn't need to know about why I spent my money on that. <laughs> anyway, Pret. Yes, Pret. Oh, my God. Always Pret. I'm this one of the mamas. podcast is sponsored by Pret. <laughs> just joking. It's really not. Although, if they are interested in sponsoring it, we'd be very open to that. And my mamas, please, because I have that once a week and I definitely would take that sponsorship. Buy a cracker chicken. <laughs> Always. Always, yeah. <laughs> and the wok fried greens. Anyways, how was your week? Week's been uneventful, but I am going to Jersey tomorrow for a few days. Oh, lovely. What's taking you to Jersey? Well, uh, I mean, I think Jersey's got lots to offer. Mainly dairy-based products. <laughs> Ice cream, I guess. You're going for the food. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, although the weather does look quite nice as well. So I'm hoping to have a nice ice cream on the beach, go for some walks. It's going to be great. Lovely. Although... Can I say about producer David? Yes. Producer David did inform us that there has been an article published this week about whether ice cream is good or not for you. Are you pro ice cream being healthy? I mean, I'm very pro ice cream being healthy. (laughs) Ideally, it will be a health food. Um, I think the research was slightly mixed on whether (laughs) that is the case or not. I think one of the uh, doctors said he's not going to rush to get a load of ice cream anytime soon based off of the uh, research. Surely, though, if you just have a small tub, it's fine. A day? A day. (laughs) An hour. As long as you're not eating it as a main meal. I mean, it's just a dessert, really, at the end of the day anyway. So. Good levels of calcium. Yeah. I'll just replace it with my milk that I have in my cereal. (laughs) 
So are you saying that you don't believe the research that ice cream's good for you? No, because it's kind of like anything, isn't it? As soon as it tastes nice, then there's always something in there that, you know, isn't that great. But either way, I wouldn't really be bothered because I don't live my life off of eating what is healthy. I live my life off of eating what I want to eat. So there we are. So I would probably say no, I don't think it's healthy for you, but it's not going to stop me eating ice cream. Well, it's definitely not going to stop me eating ice cream in Jersey. Especially when you're in Jersey. Anyway, so moving on. (laughs) Today, our guest is the incredible Julianne Haynes, CEO of Principality Building Society and board trustee for Wales Millennium Centre. Julianne has a wealth of experience in the retail and financial services sector. Thank you so much for joining us today, Julianne. That's great to be with you both. So you've had a really varied career, which we're interested to speak much more about. But maybe we could start by talking about your current role as CEO of Principality Building Society. What does it involve? Yeah, fantastic. Yeah. So I've been chief executive for about two and a half years now. Uh, I'm responsible for running the organisation day to day, leading our executive team, um, developing the strategy um, and then making sure that we're implementing that strategy setting the leadership and cultural framework for the organization and you know just making sure that we are delivering what our members so we're a different kind of organization we're a what's called a mutual building society so we're owned by our customers our members um, and for instance this week i've got my annual general meeting where i've got um customers coming in uh, rather than shareholders to hold me and the board to account really to make sure that we're doing the things that they would expect us to do and running our running our business so yeah absolutely love it we we're headquartered in Cardiff we've got 1100 colleagues many of whom live in Wales which is obviously where our history is but more and more we're a, a UK-wide business with colleagues now with hybrid working and um, very much sort of located across the UK and we've got 500,000 customers uh, across across the UK, mostly in savings and mortgages. Wow. That's a big, yeah, big, big organisation that you're leading. I love it, yeah. So, so you mentioned about it being kind of a different kind of organisation. Is that what appealed to you about when you started working there? Yeah, I mean, I left a, I mean, most of my earlier career was all sort of FTSE 100 businesses. And um, I sort of left the last business that I was at prior to coming to Principality, really with very low confidence. I felt that the culture and the sort of the way the company was going, I couldn't work out if it was me that was the problem of or actually the, the, the company and the culture. Um, and so I joined because it was a local organisation to where I lived in Cardiff. And I really liked what the the way the brand kind of showed up in terms of uh, being in its communities. And yeah, this concept of being of building society, you know, building the society that you live in. I thought it would be really nice to work for an organization that was kind of rooted in that and was less of the faceless global organizations that maybe I'd worked in in the past. Mm. God, I bet that makes such a difference as well. Because as you say, you instantly felt is it me that's the issue? But actually, no, it completely stems from the culture in companies and what they stand for. So I bet for you that makes such a difference now working for a company that has a better embedded culture. Yeah, so I think that the beauty of the model is that we are, um, you know, as I said, we, we, run, we, we run the organisation for the long term and for our members and as a result of that it means we make better long-term decisions so it's less about the peaks and troughs of performance it's more about sustainability of the business both 
financially and of course socially and environmentally more and more um customer voice colleague voice very much shapes what we do um and we talk a lot about our purpose you know why were we set up 162 years ago when a group of individuals got together in cardiff and looked at the shocking homes that were available in cardiff and thought what can we do about this there are not enough homes cardiff was beginning to industrialize and expand and become a global market for you know, coal and and steel. And fundamentally, that purpose of building homes and having a safe place for for people's savings by getting a bit of return, but then enabling other people to go and build and, 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 and mortgage homes, that's kind of just as important to us today as it was 162 years ago. And funnily, things don't change as much as you might expect, because mm. there are just as many issues with people living in good, safe, accommodation or being able to get onto the housing ladder or save for a deposit or you know um I'm a key if you're a key worker how do you get onto the property ladder when property Mm. has just completely spiked so many of the issues that were around 162 years ago Mm. are still around today and that drive for being purposeful it very much resonates to me and my leadership really god amazing so going Back to the beginning, obviously, you've got a wealth of experience in finance. Was it always finance that you wanted to go into? Was it that? um, I don't know. Are you ever young and think, yeah, that's what I want to do? I don't know. No, never. I say to my kids now, I'm still trying to work out what I want to do when I grow up. No, I did an accountancy degree and very quickly realised I didn't really want to be an accountant, but I was kind of good at, you know, sort of some of the STEM subjects. So that's what kind of took me there. But um. I really loved business. My dad set up his own company when I was 11 and I spent every weekend and every holiday in working in a retail business. What and so the, I kind of... What was the retail business? Oh, it was really interesting. It was petrol stations. So not very glamorous at all. So I used oh. to be and I started at 11 sacking, you know, the, the <laughs> sort of the, the merchandise in the shop. And then I was trusted to be on the till. And then occasionally I had to fill cars up if somebody couldn't do it or wash well, cars. He started or... you young, didn't he? He did, he did, <laughs> yeah. And then over time, I, I ended up doing the company payroll. So on a Wednesday, I used to go out from uni in Scotland and, um, and run the company payroll for 250 people and do year end for the HMRC and wow, all that sort of amazing. nonsense. So it was a great training ground and I just loved business. So as I was doing my accountancy degree, I sort of thought, I don't think I want to be an accountant, but I do love business and marketing. And I did a postgrad in international marketing and from that made a a, a leap into into the marketing world. And so my early career, I worked for um, part of the WPP group um, and then I left there and went to Sainsbury's and the retail side, not the financial services side and absolutely loved um, working sort of with the marketing teams, with the buyers and trading teams to think about big customer propositions. Um, and then from Sainsbury's went to work for Ricketts. Um, they'd just gone through the Ricketts and Coleman Ben Kaiser merger. Again, massive global business. Um, and yeah, again, marketing and sales roads. So I guess the common theme through all of my career has just been focused on customer really get interested in what is it people want what do they need how can we do a better job of serving that need and I do think you know it's helped me immensely as I then moved into financial services because the industry wasn't really focused on that it was run generally speaking by individuals who had you know um you know maybe come from more finance and more traditional sort of Mm. roles and so 
I, I guess, always tried to learn those technical skills that my finance and risk and technology um, sort of colleagues would have, but also then bring with that sort of strategic thinking, customer thinking, and, you know, just listening really well to what is it our customers need and want, and therefore what do we need to do as a business? So, yeah, it's been a fantastic career. I've, I've, there's been bits I've hated, which I've maybe alluded to, and that, but, they, but you learn as much, don't you? When yeah. You learn as much when things go wrong. You probably learn more. <laughs> oh my god, amazing! It sounds like um, I know we're sorry jumping around a little That's bit. Right. We, we were talking about uh, principality, and when you, I was reading about you getting nominated for the hundred women in finance, um, and you you in the nomination or the the entry in, in the um kind of brochure that's not the right word anyway <laughs> in, in, in the description about you it says that you led the business in as customer director from 2012 you led the business to deliver a 300 uplift in profit i mean that just goes to show that and as the customer director that kind of feeds into your point about it being all customer focused and how the difference that that can make yeah so i mean i think you know i mean i'm part of a team right so whenever these kind of Let's get put just together. take all the credit <laughs> no I'm not I'm not going to take all the credit and I, even as chief executive you never should take all the credit but no um yeah I think you know what that was about was uh, one of the things I think business particularly build businesses that are a bit older like ours it's, it's sometimes it's different when you're in a startup because in effect the company purpose and the strategy is so close it's so you know there's such a small group of employees that everybody knows what they're there to do everybody knows what their role is within the team and in effect that momentum and that growth in the early in the early years is just awesome and everybody feels so connected and inevitably because i'd worked in bigger organizations and principality isn't a big organization in terms of number of people at 1100 compared to 160,000 for some of the organizations I've worked in but what I noticed is because it's an older company with 162 years uh, of, of history sometimes it's hard to work out what are we here to do so a lot of the work I did as customer director was going back to why are we here what mm. is the thing that only we can do and achieve and that focused on purpose and now as chief executive then on really galvanizing behind strategy means that you have much more of that um that sense of purpose and direction flowing down through the organization and so if you're focused on what it is your customer needs then it's much easier to get into growth so when i joined the business we were a sort of five billion pound balance sheet we're now over 11 billion with you know some quite big growth um targets over the next few years because we are doing a better job of meeting the needs of our customers, of our brokers, of our communities. And so, you know, for me, it's always felt like really good business sense to be focused on what it is the customer wants, to really design an organisation to achieve that. And then, of course, in time, that does deliver really great returns. And those could be returns to members in our business because we give a higher savings rate than maybe you know many of our competitors would. It could be about colleague return, where I see that our engagement scores are really high. It could be around financial return. So that kind of balanced business scorecard approach really then sort of coming into itself. So you were appointed as CEO in 2020. Obviously, we all know the year of COVID. How, <laughs> how, did, that, how did that affect everything? 
massive. So the previous CEO actually left at the end of 2019 and the board just started on the recruitment process. And it basically had to get put on hold because in effect, Mm. you know, we were focusing on, we've just got to get, make colleagues safe. And because we help get cash to consumers, the treasury were very clear that banks and building societies had to remain open so that people could get cash if they needed it. So we had this really interesting challenge of getting 800 colleagues out to work from home that had previously been in offices or, you know, in um, sort of, you know, out on the road. And then we had 300 colleagues who were in effect key workers for that period of time that we were in lockdown. So suddenly you were dealing with how do we make sure they're safe and secure? How do we make sure that, you know, we are only doing the essential transactions? Where are we going to get PPE? You know, all the things which I never, never thought I'd spend time in my role doing. So that was, you know, prior to being appointed as CEO, that sort of 2020 first six months was really challenging. So it took a while for the board to kind of go through then the recruitment process. But I was delighted um, to, you know, to be appointed in. And I guess, you know, the first 18 months of my um, tenure has been you know it's been there's been different stages um mm. learning to lead the organization as it is remote as it was and of course here in Wales we had much stricter rules about working from home for a lot longer um so it's meant that it's really only the last six months that it feels like we're getting back to some sort of new normality I mean I'm sitting in it's a shame actually I'm in one of our pods which is great from a sound perspective but we took the opportunity to completely refurb our, our head office. So we are fully hybrid, oh, wow. no minimum days. It just literally is. There's collaboration space. There's desks if you need them. There's loads of great sort of IT kit around to enable the hybrid working. But that has meant that the role of the chief executive has changed kind of forever. Of no longer can you walk the floor and see hundreds of people mm-hmm. sitting in what, what used to be a busy head office. But it's been Easy. great, a new challenge. Yeah, I was going to say, even that is crazy enough. You almost went up for the job expecting it to be a certain way. But yeah. actually, whilst you've the first world has changed. Yeah, it's completely yeah. changed. Although it's interesting that you say that you think that the that it's changed and it won't go back. Because what we're seeing more and more in um, London is that it's returning much more back to office based. Mm-hmm. Or at least that's my perception. I don't know if you agree. Yeah, well, I think a, a major investment bank came out this week, didn't they? And said, we yeah, everybody back in. I see that as a really backward step. So uh, mm-hmm. um, this may be controversial. And hey, I make no apology of I may I may get get forward nine months and suddenly bees eating my words and it's all back <laughs> but as a woman CEO with with my kids are, are teenagers now but I like the fact that I can build my diary around yes my work commitments but also my home commitments and that's what my colleagues are telling me they value the opportunity to make some of those decisions themselves and not feel like they have to turn up just because the most senior people feel comfortable that they're in the office. And, yeah. you know, again, I think I'm probably a bit different. I, you know, go to all these kind of industry meetings and I hear lots of CEOs worry about productivity. And I just think we're kind of focusing on the wrong thing if we're focused mm. on productivity. Yes. I expect my teams to work hard in the way that I do, but if they're motivated and they're engaged, then they are working. In fact, lots of people tell me they work harder at home. Um, You know, so I just sort of think if you have people that weren't that productive in the office, they're probably less productive at home. 
Mm. And if you people who were productive in the office, they're probably at least as productive as they were in the office. So I'm not unduly concerned about it. And what I'm noticing is my teams are making decisions about when they have a new graduate join a particular team, what's the best way to support that individual? And is it about them being more in the office just to support them in and provide that learning opportunity? Or, you know, if, if we've got maybe three or four people joining in our contact centre, then actually I'm noticing that they're coming in and really training that individual up and having regular touch points. So I'm sort of thinking common sense is prevailing. But hey, maybe I'll mm. eat my words. But that's, that's, that's <laughs> no, not at use. all. I think I think that goes a lot. That goes a lot further actually to have for the management to have the confidence in you to be like you know we we trust you in what you do. And yeah. personally, I actually find sometimes I'm more productive at home because being in the yeah. office, you've then got the distractions of other people, and you know everyone likes to yeah <laughs> you do you know you go and have a yeah. drink in the kitchen and suddenly you spend. Yeah. 15 20 minutes having a chat but actually at home you yeah. get your head down and you get it done and I think it does it makes a big difference it makes a big it's difference to my day anyway you know because you kind of also because I commute for an hour and a half each way so that's a thing it's what by the time you've done that you could have been working for three hours exactly <laughs> and actually you know for me it's that it's all about choice so I met a colleague yeah. today in the lift who said to me I'm in four days a week. I really didn't like being at home. I felt really down. So I'm delighted to be in it. And I was like, that's brilliant because that's what yeah. suits him. And a bit like we talk about being focused on what is it that our customers need from us. I think the job of leaders is to be thinking not everybody is the same. We mm -hmm. talk about customer segmentation. We should talk about colleague segmentation. Mm -hmm. Different people require different things at different times. So let's not assume that there's a one-size-fits-all approach, that it, it is a conversation between the manager and the individual. And by the way, I like on a Monday to be at home. I get all my washing done. I nip <laughs> in to make a coffee. It's like, right, great, get the washing on the on the high dry or out the washing line. Like, I'm a real person as well, right? And yeah. just yeah. I'm a chief exec doesn't mean that. There are days I work an extremely long hour and I'll be away all day. But this is about, and I think that's what I've learned in my career is, is you know you've got to create an environment where there is that trust and from that yeah. good open adult to adult conversation mm. what's working what's not let's find a, a, a position that suits you and suits me and that's the same whether you're the chief exec or whether you're one of the more junior people in the team yeah, yeah. I mean I think you've definitely hit the nail on the head there and that's that really will be the reason why you're so successful because like you say it's not one shoe fits all and people do have different needs so when you have a manager like yourself who is happy for people to do what works best for them you will get the best out of your colleagues and yeah you will definitely not be eating your words in nine months so I think that's definitely <laughs> the way forward <laughs> schedule a call in though and tell me <laughs> so that I guess that leads us nicely on to have you had any leaders or maybe it was a mentor someone that's really inspired you in in the way that they've led yeah, it's, I've had quite a few, actually. And I think sometimes they appear in the most unusual or, un, you know, not not expected circumstances. So and sometimes they they're because they're individuals that really challenge you uh, rather than they're, you know, I think quite often it's easy to think about mentors as oh, they were the, like the really, really supportive people and they, you know, they were really mm. kind to me. And yes, I've, I've been really fortunate. I mean, an example I would quote is um, when I was at Sainsbury's, one of my line managers was absolutely superb at just sitting down and really helping to build knowledge 
and experience based on where he had been in his career and some of the challenges he was facing into with dealing with really senior people at Sainsbury's. And that was great because that created that sense of, okay, it's not just me. And how can I learn from this individual about to try things and to feel it's okay to come to a safe space and just have a bit of a moan if you were having a, a really difficult project or an experience with an individual who was quite challenging. So yeah, I definitely think Andrew at Sainsbury's was really instrumental at sort of just creating that environment where there was learning happening and it was very much he did that in a very authentic way you know he mm. was wasn't worried about saying I'm finding this tough um, and that was good in that sense of you know because you're meant to know the answers aren't you that's one mm. of the challenge I think yeah. lots of us feel at times is am I meant to know the answer to this and I don't know the answer how do yeah. I feel about that so he was very instrumental but yeah I think sometimes the individuals that you've had lots of challenge with so I've had one uh, one individual who you know I had quite a difficult relationship with when I was around sort of the board table and just one evening being able to break through that and then see that individual as a sounding board and see that actually them challenging me was them trying to help me to be a better mm. person to be a better leader so and to to grow because I mean all of this is just about growth personal growth you know mm. you never I always say to people just because I'm the CEO doesn't mean I finished developing learning growing I'm I want to be an even better CEO and then I want to be the best CEO that I can possibly be (laughs) and then I want to be known as a brilliant CEO right there's different stages that you go through and you know I hope the stabilizers are off and I'm now a good CEO and that's the feedback I get but you know that doesn't mean to say so I think at all times building and having kind of like a group of individuals that you can really lean into to get that feedback or benefit from their experience is really important and I've also been really lucky to have had an amazing coach for a number of years and that's been instrumental in creating time and space for me to reflect on what's bothering me what do I need to focus on how does this fit with my development plan and sometimes again just a safe space to have a conversation so yeah be very lucky so having that kind of group around you, it sounds like the the kind of key to all of those relationships that you have is the, is the authenticity and to be able to be authentic with your team and to be able to be open with your coach and then for to to have that reflected back to you, I imagine is it is so helpful, so useful. And authenticity is a point that's come up a few times mm-hmm. now, hasn't it? About um how that can be difficult for some people in organizations if they feel like they don't um, necessarily naturally gel with um, other members of the team or other, you know management in in those individual organizations so I guess I would be interested to hear your view on whether um, there's a there's a kind of secret source to how you can be authentic at work when it doesn't necessarily feel like being your true self is uh is the kind of cookie cutter fit for everyone yeah it's a great point and I think understanding what your own secret sauce is is really important so what's this what's the thing that makes me different or special or what are my strengths that really mean I've got something to add Mm. to a conversation or to a meeting or to a project or to an organization 
and it took me quite some time because having worked in different sectors I kind of arrived in principality and having worked in a financial services organization for the first time prior to this I really not liked it because of the culture I couldn't work out was that me was that that organization was that financial services and I kind of arrived here with confidence low and also at the time there was a lot of kind of what I call subject matter experts financial people through and through people who'd worked in the building society sector and I was I remember thinking I don't know what I've got to add and I spent quite a bit of time really factoring in what is the thing that is making me you know um bring something to the table and actually what I learned is my my one of my skills is the fact that I'm a generalist because mm. in the industry there's a lot of specialists so give me any problem and I'll do a pretty good answer right wouldn't necessarily be the best um recognize that actually different people need different things and then the ability as a generalist leader to be able to sort of flex your style and be really good at strategy and leadership actually that's quite special so I think as soon as I landed on that it started to then enable me to practice and get better and I think ultimately to be authentic you need to know what you what makes you tick what what you know what motivates you what what demotivates you what energizes you who energizes you who also de-energizes you and just then you can be more choiceful about where you spend your time and your focus and then learn different ways different um sort of I used to describe it as like tools in the toolkit bag that you can pull out at different times depending on the piece of work that you do and those kind of tips and techniques and leadership sort of interventions then I think enable you to be more authentic because you've got the skills to be able to do that. Um, I think the other word that isn't used a lot is vulnerability. I think mm. the more senior you get, the more one can feel there's an expectation that you should have all the answers, that you are calm in the crisis, that you have got it, you can do it all. And, and you know, the reality is I've never met anybody who can do it all mm. and who knows it all. And so I think as soon as you recognize that and can get comfortable in saying, I need help or I don't know what to do or I'm feeling really pressured or this just isn't working for me then actually that builds a huge amount of um, goodwill from people and so I think almost seeing those authenticity and vulnerability things I'm not sure you can do one without the other if that makes sense and um, seeing them together is really really important. I feel like I'm lost for words now. But okay, that's that. Yeah, need that need to accept that. You know, you as you say, you you do need to be vulnerable at times, but that can actually be quite daunting yeah, as well. And very I think daunting. That 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 is the key, right? As soon as you get to that space that makes you feel uncomfortable, that's where the best things happen. Mm. That's right, because that's the growth mindset thing. So. <laughs> you know we talk a lot in leadership about growth mindset don't we and you need to be you need to have a growth mindset well by very by you can't possibly think I need to know everything and have a growth mindset those two things are incompatible Mm. really so I think as soon as you accept now it's easy to say right and there are times where I'll sit in my boardroom and I think they'll probably expect me to know the answer to this maybe (laughs) I should right so again I'm not saying I'm brilliant at this and I'm perfect at it but I suppose I think I'm learning and getting better and you know and and that's the point it's just a continual thing but yeah you're absolutely right just admitting that is is challenging but that's where the uncomfortableness and the growth comes 
So should we talk about Lunchtime Learning for Leaders um, oh. by Lucy Ryan? I guess, how did you come across this book? So I am really lucky because Lucy is my coach. Right. And I, Lucy oh, has amazing. coached me for a number of years. And Excellent. What I love about this book is, firstly, it's like I recognise not everybody is in a fortunate position to have a coach. And so what I love about it, it's kind of like, as I read it for the first time, I thought, God, we Lucy has used all these models and helped me over my career with these things. And here it all is in a book that's actually really easy to read and navigate. And it's really consumable because you can kind of dip in and dip out depending on where you are. And I just love that practical mm. and that thing about it. It's... Um, democratizing almost her skill and experience as you know an amazing coach to lots more people so what I do is I dip into it you know even now I think oh that's right let me just get this out why am I struggling with this okay let me just go back through the little bit of learning to challenge myself on right have I done that have I been as um choiceful in in thinking about this problem and it enables me to kind of step out um and ultimately for me I think it's enabled me to really develop as an individual all the tools and techniques. So, for instance, I can remember turning up at Lucy's coaching studio in a complete mess because I was completely run down and it was like I wasn't doing any exercise. I wasn't eating very well. I put weight on. I wasn't sleeping very well. And it was like, how can you be a good leader if that's kind of the person that you are and you're dealing with that? And in that in this book there are great models that you kind of almost in the this is what you need to think about in terms of managing yourself and therefore building resilience and building the energy to be a good leader so you know focus on the sleep first you can't really start to tackle the other things if you're absolutely exhausted recharge your battery recognize that every day you need to build that recharge timing so that would be a great model where practically I can look at the book and go, right, okay, I've got into bad habits because it's been busy. Yeah. So am I doing these things? So yeah, there's just brilliant, helpful, practical guidance in there. Like having Lucy at your beck and call exactly. all the time. Exactly. <laughs> how did, how did, I'm curious about um, having a coach. Is, is it, what was it that made you go and see her for the first time? So I do think it was, I mean, imposter syndrome and, that confidence mm. piece and working out am I good enough can I should I be aiming for more or actually should I not you know when I had a very you know my my two girls were very young when I first started to to work with Lucy and that whole work life about how on earth do I make all of this work and you know I want to I want to lead but when I look around sometimes I see leaders do things which just don't feel like me and it was that kind of working out and needing an ongoing narrative with somebody to help me wrestle with some of these big topics. Mm -hmm. And we use that word a lot. You know, what are we wrestling with all this? What's 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 taking up our mental energy at the moment? That means it, you know, it could be about a relationship with an individual or a team or a project, which means actually that's getting in the way of performance and success and achievement. And if I don't deal with that, how am I ever going to move on? So, yeah, it's just been, you know, over time, the conversation changes, the focus changes. It all depends on what my objective is for the 
six months or the 12 months or whatever. Um, and it also, I think I recognise the link between home and work. So you can't... One it's a massive always, thing. You have to accept that we are one person that shows up at work and at home. Mm. And it's not right to disconnect them. You need to recognise that they, that they coexist and you need to try and get them to work. And I'm so glad you touched on that because that's kind of where I am at the moment. I have a daughter, she's two. And I thought when I had her, I would kind of be happy to, you know, take a step back and just do that role for a while. But actually, it really motivated me that, no, I wanted to come back to work and I wanted to show her that, you know, you can do both. But at the same time, I wasn't seeing many people around me doing both which was a massive thing for me as to why I'm doing this, because yeah. I want to speak to women like you who yeah. do manage that and you can do both and you're so successful. All while you had your daughters at home and you were still mm. a great mum at home as well. How did you find to balance <laughs> both of them? That's the big question, right? How do you balance being a mum and, and being a great leader? Yeah. So I think a big thing is know what your red lines are. So what are the things that are the absolute non-negotiables? And that could be work or home. Mm. and 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 live by those and hold yourself to account for those so that would be kind of point one point two is don't accept that you don't assume you can do it all so therefore make conscious trades what are the things I'm prepared to let go of because if they're not my red lines I probably could be prepared to let those go so that would be point two point three is you have to have an ecosystem around you now, everybody's ecosystem is different. Not everybody lives in a 2.2 family, you know, with a partner and not everybody has grandparents close by. Whatever, mm. But whatever it is, you've got to have that ecosystem and you've got to recognise that you you will need that. So that could be beg, stealing and borrowing, you know, a friend at nursery who's happy to do a pickup just to help you. Or it could be I'm always just going to need to, you know, on a Wednesday leave at three and I'm going to contract that and agree that with my boss. Or I've got somebody to ring when I'm stuck on the train trying to get home with the hour and a half commute, you know, that can pick up in an emergency. So whatever it is, just have that ecosystem and do that contracting not um, consciously. So make conscious trades and conscious decisions about where, where, how you're going to try and make this. And then just accept that, you know, as your child grows up, their needs change and your needs change. And therefore, what's right today is likely to change in six or 12 months. And that can be quite challenging because you kind of think, oh, I've got this sorted. Great. And then somebody's like, oh, God. (laughs) So when they get into a routine and then you think, oh, no, it's something new. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. That never ends then. (laughs) I think the other thing is talk about it, you know, make it real. And it's amazing how many other people actually go oh do you know I've got that I'm absolutely exhausted today you know teething I mean you know when they're two it's blinking hard right <laughs> yeah it, it's a terrible twos is a thing it, it really is a is. thing which starts at one and ends yes. at, well I don't know when it ends it doesn't actually I've got end but I don't know when it ends <laughs> oh no that's great advice thank you so much so um would you like to write a book oh, do you know what? <laughs> I, I mean, you've already given away the best bit. <laughs> I know, I know. I had thought about it. Not now, not now. I'm, I'm, 
I sort of know where I would want to be in my career to do that and to again to feel authentic that I've got stuff that people would find interesting you know and would be worth me putting down in paper and also I go through this whole and I think this would be my if I had if somebody said to me what would be your one piece of advice search everywhere for kind of learning so you know I've done I've done really well at picking lots of stuff up because I will read lots I will talk to people lots I'll read the papers and I'll you know get really in, you know social media is just so many many amazing articles and things to learn from and people and case studies just on LinkedIn even that you go oh I hadn't thought that so I feel slightly bad about the thought of oh I could commercialize stealing everybody else's work <laughs> do you know what I mean so that, that would probably put me off a little bit but yeah I do think yeah, maybe nobody would buy it, but that would be okay. I think there'd be something well, quite Well, you'd have two people here who would it. buy it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's really kind. That's really kind. Thank you. But yeah, it would be, it would be, it would be kind of, I think it would be quite cathartic. And of course, like most people, there are horrible stories that you kind of feel like, let's make sure this, that doesn't happen again. Mm, or yes. that doesn't happen again. You know, there's kind of those unsaids as a woman in business that, you know, you think, I've been in situations where actually I was deeply uncomfortable. I really hope that we're in a world where people feel they can speak up, but I'm sure there's still places where people feel they can't. Mm -hmm. So I think the more that, and I, and I hadn't really thought about this too much, apart from the last 12 months where I thought the more that even somebody like me can say, I've been there and I wish I had spoken up because actually mm -hmm. I should not have had to put up with that. But making it real and talking about it, I think, is half the half the battle to eradicate it. Yeah, one hundred percent. And I think for a lot of people, when it does happen, sometimes they feel in a position that they can't talk about That's it right. because as soon as you say it to someone, it then becomes real, and then yeah. you have to have the conversation about what happened. And for some people, it they probably do think that they're going to lose their job over the fact yeah. that they're raising and they complaining do. about something yeah, that yeah. actually should have never yeah. happened in the first place. I think there's an element of allyship, which is really yeah, important. Yes. And to to be aware and to make sure that you're kind of aware of what other people might be thinking or feeling so that you can speak up for one another. Definitely. Which I think is is sometimes easier to speak up on behalf of someone else than on your own behalf. Mm. If you're and, I think, mm. and I think we've all got a responsibility to listen much better just mm. to really hear what people are saying and you know and to ask great questions then to then think is there something there that I should be sort of tuned into mm. um so yeah I think you're absolutely right that support and I often say I mean the previous chief executive principality Steve who, who I loved working with I used to say to him, right, you're a dad. Can you be the one to talk about, oh, I've got to go today because I've got to get to sports day. I said, it's so much more powerful if you say that to people mm -hmm. or actually don't expect a medal because it's brilliant that you're going to sports day because you're a bloke. You know what? Um, <laughs> because actually, as a parent, we've all got those responsibilities. Yeah, or actually, exactly. One of the things I'm really dialing up is it ain't just about people with kids, right? There are people who've got caring responsibilities, yep. both in terms of, you know, older parents. So I'm seeing lots more talk about that. We've got a carers network here. Um, and, you know, you, so there are different individuals who need that allyship at different points in their in their lives. And, you know, again, the more we can tune into that and provide support, then that helps everybody learn and, and benefit. Mm -hmm. and ultimately keeps those people in the workforce doesn't it of course it does yeah which is what we need at the moment right yeah definitely <laughs>
Talking of asking good questions, we've got some from our audience. Unless you've got a follow-up question. No, like I, my question was just going to be, it sounds like you've completely smashed it out of the park and you're oh. so successful. <laughs> you know where you are, you know where you're going. And I'm just going to ask, what, what's, what's the future like for you? Where, where do you see yourself? Oh, I know you obviously said you're question. always pushing yourself. You're, you're obviously currently a CEO anyways, but yeah, the vision and where, the vision? where do you see yourself in 10, 20 years from now? Oh, well, the thing <laughs> is, I'm on, on a beach age, somewhere. <laughs> I, I'm on an age where, yeah, that's the thing. It's not t- 10 or 20 years is, uh, you know, I'm, uh, I turned 50 in February, so it's been a bit of a marker. So, yeah, um, I've got lots mm. to continue to achieve at Principality. That That certainly is the case. But I think there is a life after Principality. I've been here a while. I think as CEO, then there'll be there'll be a time. And yeah, then I just think the world is really exciting. And I feel I've got so much more that I can learn and contribute. So yeah, I'm really open. I think that's the key thing. And as you probably heard from my career to you know today, I've taken sidewards move. There's a great book, um, Squiggly Careers. You know, don't don't worry too much find something you love and you'll be awesome and you'll really enjoy it and that's what it's got to be and yeah don't don't have too much of a defined path would be my would be my mm. view in my, my next 10 years perfect love your life there we go <laughs> right sorry I interrupted you want to go and <laughs> audience questions if you were hiring someone today what would be the most important skill you'd be looking for mm, that's a great question desire to learn yeah, I think that's so important, isn't it? I think we don't that if... know what the jobs in 10 years are going to be, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, so everyone true. has to be ready to learn. Right, next one. What do you think is the best way to gain respect in the workplace? Uh, my dad gave me a great piece of advice, which is focus on doing the best job you can today and the next one will take care of itself. So sometimes oh. I think people get really focused on what the next job is. Um. So be the best you can be in the role that you're in you and if you are I mean not everybody wants to get up with progression right that's the that's the other thing we just need to you know acknowledge I think if you do want upward progression one of the other great pieces of advice which kind of goes against what I've just said but depends where you Mm -hmm. are is imagine you walked in on Monday and you've been promoted to that role what would you do differently and actually they're the same side of the same coin aren't they yeah because to some extent it's back to stretch and development so you know if when, before I was CEO it was I remember somebody saying that to me and it was like well yeah if I was CEO what would I be doing different that's a really good question and why am I not doing that today yeah yeah, yeah. I mean I, I guess you were you were at Principality for a long while before you were the CEO so you had lots of time to think about what you'd do differently right? <laughs> yeah yeah that's right and you know I didn't know whether I didn't join wanting to be a CEO I didn't mm. ever was never on my radar and there were times where I thought maybe I'll leave and go be a CEO somewhere else, right? So yeah, just I think that keeping keeping an open mind. But yeah, be the best that you can be in the role that you're in today. And yeah, you know, uh, Andrew from Sainsbury's used to say, "Don't ask permission, seek forgiveness." <laughs> Which I used to love. Yeah. yeah, great answer. Last question then. You mentioned that you've left previous jobs because of a toxic culture. So how did you know when enough was enough? Oh, that's a brilliant question. I probably didn't know soon enough. I probably (laughs) kept going thinking, oh, it's me and I can, it'll all be right. And I'm obviously not doing the right things. Um, I remember walking in one Friday. I remember a meeting 
obviously only women in the meeting there's probably about 20 individuals in the room Ooh, I mm. just remember sitting there having an outer body experience where I literally felt like I was above them going what on earth is just happening and why are they talking about doing the things that they're doing this just makes absolutely no sense and I literally walked out of the room and went into my boss's office and said I'm really sorry I, I have to quit and he was like, oh, no, 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 no. And I was like, no, I absolutely, I cannot see in any way that I can be on the bus. Mm. Um, and then I rang my husband. He was like, what the hell have you done? We've got to <laughs> What have you done? And I was like, I can't. Giving I you the reality check. <laughs> I'd rather go back and work in my dad's petrol station that is not worth this. I have mm. more self-value and worth than feeling like this. Was it because you felt that, that that had compromised your values? Yeah, it's all about values. And it's all that sense of not being valued, not being listened to, and not being able to be my my real self, mm. having to try to be something different. I used to make a joke in this company. It was almost like you needed to wear chinos and a Ralph Lauren sort of open neck button shirt. You had <laughs> to have the uniform. And I remember saying to one of the women in my team, because I had about 40 people work for me, I remember saying one day, I don't know what the equivalent uniform is for a woman. What is it? Because <laughs> we don't do chinos and like open neck shirts, do we? So what, it, what, yeah. what are we meant to wear? But it was literally like that sense of, I just do not belong here. I am not valued here. And now you're asking me to do things which make for me no sense through a customer lens. And actually the share price of that business fell. That business no longer exists, even though they were a FTSE business when I was there. So I mm. felt vindicated a number of years later, but mm. you shouldn't have to put up with that. And no. I even say to all my new starters every month, every month I meet every new person on a on a sort of Teams call and I'll say, I hope you can be yourself here. You know, that that's what we that's why we've recruited you for who you are and your skills and your experience and your views in the world. I really do hope you can and I mean that. And it is actually such a shame because some people do stick around for just that bit too long than they needed yeah. to. And sometimes they need to be told exactly that, you know, not always, but yeah. within these situations, the grass can really be greener and yeah. you can go into somewhere where you're just appreciated for who you are. And that says so much more. And what a lovely message. I hope financial services has changed everywhere and that there isn't anybody feeling like that. You might get a better sense of that than, than me. But, you know, I do think if that, yeah, we should we should be encouraging um, individuals to feel that, you know, they have that more self-worth. And, you know, and as I said before, you've got to love what you're doing at mm. least 35, if not 45, if not 50 hours a week. Right. Yeah. Mm. Amazing. What so a great much. way to finish. Thank you. Thank you, Julianne. It was absolutely amazing talking to you i'm definitely going to buy this book as well this sounds like a great read i'm going to that will literally be my lunchtime reading my travel reading my nighttime reading yeah it's really good thank you we're gonna we're gonna feel like we're getting advice directly from lucy exactly i better let her know hadn't i yeah Great. Well, thanks both. And if you need anything again, but good luck. I thought, thought what you were doing was so brilliant. I thought I've got, you know, really love to be part of it. So oh, no, good we, luck. We appreciate your time so much. Thank you so much. That's great. Thanks, Julianne, for appearing on Unity Thursday. I thought it was so important that we talked about authenticity and what it is that makes you authentic in the workplace, what makes you good at your job and what makes you really 
able to contribute and to identify that and to be able to be reflective of that. We want to get to know you all, so please do ask your questions or just drop us a line to introduce yourself. You can reach us at unitythursday at gmail.com. We will never reveal your identity, so tell us all your secrets. Don't forget to follow us on social media. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts or visit our website at unitythursday.com. See you next time.